Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for well-qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. Welcome to Special Edition, a weekly look at the issues in the news and the personality shaping the stories. I'm Paula Degnan. This week on Special Edition, we're going to talk colon cancer. April is Cancer Control Month. Chess has many fans. We're going to get the inside scoop. We'll also hear about the latest production for Actor Circle. And starting us off, Jog for Jude to raise awareness and funding for SIDS research is coming up. Greg Zayak has the details. Tell me about the event that's coming up, the where, the when, and most importantly, the why. The when uh, is April 22nd at 6.30 p.m. at the Dunmore Community Center. It's a 5K and family fun run walk event, and it's held at the Dunmore Community Center. Dunmore and said 6.30, but really, realistically, you know, it starts at 5 and it goes till till dusk. And it's got all kinds of activities for kids, uh, bounce houses, food that's included, hot dogs, hamburgers, popcorn, you know, all that that kind of stuff. And you touched on it, the most, most important reason is, is in memory of my son Jude, who passed away from sudden infant death syndrome in July 2014. At, uh, at just over three months old. During that time, Greg, you have been doing this because your family has really taken on the commitment to continue to work to find out why this happened. So how have things been going over the years? Have you heard from any kind of researchers or anything? You know, we have two organizations we, we partner with. Uh, one is, is locally, it's St. Joseph's Center in Dunmore to try to um, keep the local connection. So we help support the baby pantry, which serves services, you know, the, the unfunded or underfunded youth who, who are really in need of the basic essential diapers, uh, formula, clothing things that a lot of us maybe take take for granted but are, are real needs in the community. And then secondly, right on the research side, we've partnered with Boston Children's Hospital, who's really um, at the forefront of sudden infant death syndrome uh, in the country. It's a program called Robert's Program. And um, the thing about SIDS is it's one of the least funded on a federal basis health causes that exists. So there's about 300 different initiatives that are funded by the National Institute of Health. And SIDS typically ranks in the bottom uh, 10% of funding each year. So so our work is even more important given that context. And I would say that we have had great success from a fundraising perspective. So this year, we hope to get, I don't know if we'll do it, but we're knocking on the door of a million dollars that we've raised net of all our costs and everything. So a million dollars that we've been able to contribute to either Boston Children's or St. Joe's um, in the last nine years. And from a research perspective, what that has enabled the folks at Boston Children's Hospital to do is to, to fund programs and and one of which has determined, they think that there's a link to serotonin levels in the, in the brainstem that, that contribute to SID. So the next step there is really to kind of prove that theory, if you will. And part of how the Judaic Foundation is involved with that, uh, we committed over the next three years to fund at a level that we've historically done, which will enable Boston Children's Hospital and Roberts program to hire 
a position there, which which will really spearhead um, kind of a national campaign to reach out to um, coroner's offices across the country. So right now they're they're somewhat limited. It's more of a regional focus. So this, unfortunately, on one hand, will allow them to to have more individuals to study and to conduct their research on, but it will have great impact in, in trying to prove their theory and eventually. The goal is to lead to kind of a, a, a marker test, if you will, at birth to determine if somebody is genetically predisposed to SIDS. Greg, that's amazing that yeah. you're moving in such a great direction. And as you said, you want to get as many people as you can in order to help raise money. So let's give all the details. Jog for Jude coming up on April 22nd. And again, the where, the when, and it sounds to me like when we started, you don't even have to be there at a certain time. It happens as time goes on. It's kind of evolved into this event. So we, we it always used to be Sunday morning. You know, we'd start a race at, at nine o'clock and people would hang out after. Coming back from the pandemic last year, we changed it to Saturday evening. My family and I had gone to another race in Kentucky for SIDS a couple of years ago, and they had it on a Saturday evening. I thought it was such a neat thing. It felt a lot less stressful, and maybe that's because I wasn't running the race, the logistics of it. So we tried to incorporate that as we came back from, from the pandemic, and it was really a big success last year. You know, we still have the race, which has become more geared toward the, you know, kind of a family walk event, right? It's a, the best time of the year. You know, you're heading into spring, and people are just kind of itching to get outside. So the, the race itself does start at 630, but there's all kinds of activities that go on at the community center campus throughout the evening, and then we end the evening, uh, weather permitting, knock on wood with a, with a fireworks display. As the host, I'm going to let you issue the invitation. So it'd be great to, to have everybody come on out and, and support Jog for Jude and the Jude Zayak Foundation to help us snap out SIDS. Thanks again to Greg Zayak. And a reminder, you can find out more on the Jog for Jude Facebook page, website, or Jude Zayak Foundation. Now we meet director Brink Powell. She's bringing Moonlight at Magnolias to the stage at Actor Circle. Brink, welcome. You are going to tell us about the next exciting production going up on the boards for Actor Circle. What is it? It is called Moonlight and Magnolias, uh, written by Ron Hutchinson. Um, and basically, it is the backstory to how the novel Gone with the Wind was turned into the classic film Gone with the Wind. Um, as Hollywood legend would have it, the producer, David O. Selznick, who in our production is played by Paul Gallo, was unhappy with how the production was going. So after only three weeks, he shut the whole thing down. He fired the director. He threw out the script um, and he brought in two new people. He brought in director Victor Fleming, who is played by Seth Golden, and writer Ben Hecht, who is played by David Hunnish. And he got them to turn the novel into a new screenplay, which became the movie that we all know. That's as far as we know factually. The legend is that he actually locked them in his office for five consecutive days. So the, the play is what happened behind those closed doors in those five days. I never knew any of that before. Yeah, no one does. <laughs> You've not only spurred my interest now because I didn't know that, but what went on behind those doors? Are there other characters involved? Nope. It's just the three of them. And uh, Mr. Selznick's secretary is a character in the show, Miss um, Poppingle, and she is played by Marnie Azzarelli. Um, I haven't been able to find any evidence that Miss Poppingle was actually a real person. I think she's probably just an amalgamation of, you know, secretaries in the 30s in Hollywood. Um, so I don't think she was a real person, but she is the only other character in the show. And she comes in and out, bringing them a limited amount of sustenance. And I can imagine in the 1930s what that existed of. What brought you as the director interested in bringing this particular show to the stage? Well, I had actually co-directed it once before um, back in 2011. A friend of mine and I had our own production company. It was called Three Witches Productions. Um, it was short-lived. It was only for that year. We didn't have a budget. We didn't have a space. 
Um, but we just really wanted to do shows. So we would kind of just rent spaces out. So we actually did this show at the Ramada Inn in Clark Summit on their tiny little stage. And I had always since then wanted to stage it on an actual stage in an actual theater because it just adds a little something to it. Not that our first one was great. I mean, our actors were wonderful working with basically nothing, but seeing it done in a real theater has been really, really cool. Well, that's exciting. And that also Mm -hmm. gives us a little bit more of insight to you. And you are a new name to me. So can you give us any more of your background? As far as Actor Circle, I actually started performing there all the way back in 2007 when I was in college. So I've I've performed there. I've stage managed there. Um, This is my first time actually directing at Actor Circle. From 2017 to 2021, I was actually the dramatics director for the Lackawanna Trail School District. Um, I had to unfortunately step down due to pandemic related reasons. That's basically my directing background. And I've been involved in theater since 2002 when I was in high school. It's a long history. Yeah. And you're a local? Yes. Um, I currently live in Fleetville. I am originally from La Plume. Local Roots bringing us a show that has a very interesting historical background. So Mm -hmm. now we need to know Brink the Where, the When, the How We Get Tickets. So the show is being presented by Actor Circle at Providence Playhouse, which is 1256 Providence Road in Scranton. Uh, It is being presented April 20th, 21st, 22nd, 23rd, 28th, 29th, and 30th. So there's two weekends. The Thursday, Friday, Saturday performances are at 7 p.m. And the Sunday performances are at 2 p.m. Tickets are 15, 12, and 10. You can actually, we added a new feature recently. You can buy tickets in advance at eventbrite.com. So you would just go to Eventbrite and look up Moonlight and Magnolias. You can also reserve tickets by just calling the theater. And tickets are held 10 minutes before opening and you pay at the door if you reserve them that way. So I'm going to give you the microphone and let you give the official director's invitation to our listeners to come and enjoy the show. This is Brink Powell, director of Moonlight and Magnolias at Actor Circle, and I would like to invite you to come see this hilarious comedy, Moonlight and Magnolias, the backstory to how Gone with the Wind went from novel to movie. Brink Powell bringing Moonlight and Magnolias to Actor Circle in Scranton. Next, it's not the chess game you remember. We're going to talk to a grandmaster next on Special Edition. A chess competition like you've never seen. Here's chess grandmaster Maurice Ashley. The HBCU Chess Classic is April 22nd in Atlanta. It will feature some of the famous HBCU universities, Howard, Hampton, Morehouse, Selman, as well as Clark and Sam Yu will be participating. Exciting to have this tournament for the first time, and it's the beginning of something powerful and hopefully a long tradition. Tell us about yourself there, Maurice. I understand that you've played a few games or two? I played one or two games in my 40-year career. <laughs> uh, yes, I fell in love with chess. When I was 14 years old in Brooklyn Technical High School, BK back in the day, just playing chess in the park with the hustlers. But eventually I got to the level of master and then international master. And finally, my dream of becoming a grandmaster. And so that was really a special thing for me to do. Since then, I've been able to not just play chess, but spread chess and promote chess all around the country and gracefully also around the world. You are also looking at this in a bit of a different way because the diversity of players is now changing in chess. And is that part of the reason because you have become the first black chess grandmaster? Congratulations. Thank you. You know, I became a grandmaster in 1999. There hasn't been another African-American here in the United States, that is, who has followed in my footsteps. So for me, there is a bit of a legacy issue to see more people follow behind me, of course, is important. And we definitely have seen talent in chess. 
but there's not a lot of people who are rising to the highest level. I think because chess has not been kind of profession that I've been able to make it, but still not a traditional profession where people can feel like they're going to make a living at, then we see a lot of smart, talented youngsters go into other things. And so it's good that chess is starting to boom as well. Events like the American Cup, which gives away $300,000 in prize money and other big events as well. We see tours where there's a $2 million chess tour around that's happening as well. These kind of things get more interest into chess, and we're hoping to bring a diverse pool to take advantage of these opportunities. What about the young people and how chess is? Is it changing as far as young people are concerned? Are they as interested? I mean, I guess you can play chess on a video game. I don't know, Maurice. Don't get mad at me. You must not be paying attention because (laughs) young people are driving the sport at the moment. The youngest grandmaster in history just happened a couple of years ago. Abhimanyu Mishra is 12. We have Alice Lee, who's playing in the American Cup. She's 13 years old. Young people are coming to this game. It's 1,500 years old, and it still brings a young audience, a diverse audience. It's fun. People can go online and play anytime, day or night. And also, there's faster chess, not just the classic version that a lot of people are used to that, uh, that takes hours, but rapid chess, blitz chess, bullet chess. People play chess with only one minute on the clock. So <laughs> you see this game uh, has definitely adapted to the time, and we love it. And can you just see young people playing all over the country and the world? Wow. Well, that's why we have you here, Maurice, because you just brought us all up to date. I wasn't even aware of of most of those different types of things. And I have to ask, and I promise I won't tell anybody, is there any kind of Maurice strategy that you have that you use? I have a few ideas that I've come up with, (laughs) but I usually get paid for those. So we're we're not going to talk about that right now. But, you know, if you want some lessons, Later, we can certainly talk about it, Paula. Well, absolutely. That sounds like a plan. And uh, when we're talking about all the different things and we talked about young people, celebrities, celebrities getting involved in chess now, too? As I said, chess attracts everyone. It's been around as long as it has because it's such a fun game. And we see people of all stripes and celebrities playing. Michael B. Jordan uh, loves to play. Rain Wilson of The Office. Jamie Foxx is a huge fan of chess. And let me tell you, when you play against Jamie, you better make sure you put your feelings on the side because there will be trash talking. Uh, <laughs> it's always fun to play with him. And you see athletes, musicians, everyone, actors playing chess. It definitely is taking on a new life in this age. And as someone who's been around the game for four decades plus, it's wonderful to see the boom happening in chess right now. Oh, I would love to just sit and watch you play. I think it's wonderful. So if people are listening to this and they're saying, hmm, I haven't thought about chess in a while. Maybe I should start looking into that. Where can they go to find out some more? Great website to go to for all things chess, uschesschamps.com. uschesschamps.com. Find out about the exciting events that happen with chess, the big money events, as well as learn about great things happening all around the country, and especially in St. Louis, which is the capital of chess in the United States, with a great chess club there, uschesschamps.com. Talking chess with Maurice Ashley. Talking colon cancer next. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. 
Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. <sighs> Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. It's Cancer Control Month, and joining us from Geisinger, Wyoming Valley Medical Center to discuss colon cancer, Dr. Hamid Hanif, and also Dr. Joshua Obuck, Director of Endoscopy. Dr. Obuck, welcome. It's nice to have you here. First of all, tell us what you're seeing as far as colon issues, maybe not even just colon cancer, but colon issues. Well, that's a that's a pretty broad topic, but in terms of colon issues in general and what's going on with colon cancer in the region, colorectal cancer is the third most common cancer in America for both men and women, and colon cancer screening is really one of the top priorities that primary care doctors should be referring their patients for, as well as gastroenterologists in terms of uh, affecting the healthcare of patients in the region. That's one of our mainstays in providing services for patients in the region. But when it comes to colon health in general, there's a slew of diseases that we see uh, at our hospital and in our endoscopy suites, ranging from normal polyps, uh, large polyps or abnormal growth in the colon that require resection. Uh, Unfortunately, patients with advanced cancer or polyps that are diagnosed due to failure to receive adequate screening or uh, not going through adequate screening. And then also we deal with patients who have chronic bowel issues, such as chronic diarrhea or constipation leading to diagnoses such as inflammatory bowel disease, like Crohn's disease, ulcerative colitis, or even things like microscopic colitis, which can cause chronic diarrhea. So when it comes to colon health in general, we do see a slew of different diseases that can range from malignant, precancerous, or generally benign, but affects patients' quality of life. There are so many other different types of things that can be happening in the colon that sometimes these things are hard to diagnose. But just touch on some of the other things, because again, very prevalent in our society, things like colitis, people have a very hard time talking about. Sure. So a lot of times when patients will come to the gastroenterologist, it's obviously uh, related to some form of digestive issue or issues surrounded around bowel habits or uh, abdominal complaints. Anytime you know a patient comes to us, we, we like to know when it comes to their bowel function, have they been seeing what we call worrisome features? Have you noticed blood in your stool? Have you had change in your bowel habits where you used to be able to set your clock to when you had your bowel movement every day, and now things are erratic and all over the place. Are your changes in the caliber of your stool or the consistency of your stool? Have you gone from having normal log-shaped form bowel movements to chronic watery diarrhea or pencil-thin stools that are not your normal type of bowel habit? Are you having pain when you're having a bowel movement in the rectum or around the anus? Or have you had unexpected weight loss or changes in your red blood cell count that your doctor has noticed that we can't explain for other reasons? Are you having cramping, abdominal pain, urgency? These are all the types of things that prompt us to want to evaluate further, usually with an endoscopic exam, either an upper endoscopy for other issues unrelated to colon cancer, but or a lower endoscopy or colonoscopy. And this is a great test because it allows the physician to not only evaluate and diagnose potential chronic inflammatory diseases like ulcerative colitis or Crohn's disease. But if we do find abnormalities, we can take biopsies at that time for tissue diagnosis, 
or if we do see things such as polyps that would manifest into a colon cancer in a patient's lifetime, they can be removed at the time of the procedure. So it's an excellent test for not only diagnosis, but for therapeutic intent. And you mentioned all of these different issues that people may present with. And again, as I said, people don't want to talk about these things, Dr. Roebuck. So, I mean, diarrhea is a pretty nonspecific complaint. To see your gastroenterologist or physician when you have short, limited, you know, diarrheal symptoms that last for a day or two, that can be explained by maybe uh, something bad you ate or what we call a viral gastroenteritis. But things that should really trigger patients to start seeing their physician or opening up the conversation with their physician about what's going on is chronicity, meaning that it hasn't gone away in two weeks and it's still persisting. Or you noticed any of those things that I just discussed, blood, mucus in the stool, that's not normal. Are you having fevers where you're having you know, temperatures over 101 degrees Fahrenheit associated with diarrhea that's persisting? Are you having severe pain symptoms that are waking you up in the middle of the night? Are you running to have a bowel movement in the middle of the night? Sometimes patients can eat something and you know, it can lead to a, a diarrheal illness if they have a food intolerance or a food allergy or if they ate something bad. But most people aren't eating during the night when they're sleeping. And if they're running to the bathroom to have a bowel movement, waking up with urgency or not even making it, they're, they're having an accident. These are all worrisome symptoms that do require further evaluation. Talk about the polyps a little bit, because again, polyps, we know what they are, or at least we think we know what they are in the fact that they could be cancerous. But how would someone, would someone know that they have a polyp without a colonoscopy? The short answer is no, you don't. And, and the thing is, you know, colorectal cancer and colon polyps, they affect men and women equally with a, a lifetime risk of patients be developing colon cancer around one in 24. One in 24 people can develop a colon cancer within their lifetime, which is a scary number, but it's an extremely preventable type of cancer through appropriate screening means. So, you know, when we talk about polyps in particular to kind of maybe narrow down the conversation a little bit, but when we talk about colorectal cancer and polyps, polyps usually start as a benign growth and over time can manifest and turn into a malignancy or a cancer if it's allowed to grow on controlled pace without being removed. And we know that regular screening with either a colonoscopy or other types of colon cancer screening tests for evaluation and removal of colon polyps can reduce one, you know, an individual's lifetime cancer risk up to 90%. Colon polyps do not usually cause symptoms unless they're very large or have already unfortunately started to turn into a cancer. So by the time you start developing symptoms, it may be too late to endoscopically remove them. So when we're talking to patients and they've had alterations in their bowel habits, we assess for those warning symptoms or red flag symptoms that I was discussing to see whether or not they need an urgent endoscopic evaluation to make sure something serious isn't going on. But you know, a lot of times with something like a diarrheal illness or any type of digestive issue, the workup usually starts with lab testing to rule out things like Celiac disease, which is a gluten allergy, uh, checking for inflammatory markers, which may suggest something like Crohn's disease or ulcerative colitis that would warrant further evaluation. Sometimes we'll get CAT scans or special type of radiographic imaging studies to see what the bowels look like and see if there's any concerning findings such as a growth, uh, a narrowing in the colon, such as a stricture, or any type of abnormal findings that would want us to further want to evaluate with an endoscopy. And then we can also do stool tests to look for inflammatory markers in the stool, to look for infectious causes. When we're doing a colonoscopy for screening purposes or for diagnostic purposes, when patients are coming in with complaints, the patient will usually start by preparing for the colonoscopy, which uh, is probably the most unpleasant part. You know, when we talk about a colonoscopic evaluation, we can't see the colon inside the colon with our scope if there is fecal matter within the lumen of the colon. So unfortunately, there's no way around it. Patients need to prep the night before for their colonoscopy. And this usually requires a, a large dose of laxatives that uh, evacuate the bowel. And then the day of the procedure, patients will be uh, sedated. They have nothing to eat or drink that morning to make sure their stomach is empty. And they receive sedation and a flexible scope with a camera on it is inserted through the anus and is advanced all the way to where the colon meets the small intestine. So the colon is also known as the large intestine. We go all the way to the where the colon starts and meets the small intestine 
and we're looking for any type of abnormalities and evaluating at that time. If a polyp is encountered, they can range in size. So they can be what we call diminutive polyps or tiny polyps under a centimeter. And those are usually easily removed with either a snare or some type of forcep where the endoscopist can remove the polyp with minimal risk of bleeding or causing an intervention an issue. Uh, if a larger polyp is encountered, something over one or two centimeters in size, this usually requires that the endoscopist, one, make sure that there's no concern for a cancer in this lesion. And if there isn't, inform the patient that a, another procedure may be necessary for a dedicated removal, which is usually done by an advanced endoscopist who specializes in that type of polyp removal. And you're absolutely right um, that the prep is never the fun part, but I personally enjoy the nap you get when you go in for the procedure. That's <laughs> always the thing I look forward to. But now there are, again, people who say, well, I just don't want to do this. I don't like the yeah. idea. I just don't want to do it. So now there are other methods. Are you getting a good result from some of these at-home things that they talk about now? So in terms of screening, yeah, these screening, these alternative screening tests, which I'll discuss with you in a second, are absolutely fantastic and appropriate for what we call average risk individuals. And these are patients who have no family history of colon cancer or no personal history of colon polyps or no personal history of inflammatory bowel disease. For patients who are at average risk for colon cancer, we recommend screening start at age 45, either with a colonoscopy or with another type of test. For patients who are at increased risk for colon cancer, meaning that they have a first-degree relative who was diagnosed with colon cancer before the age of 60, they have multiple first- and second-degree relatives with a history of colon cancer, um, they may have a genetic predisposition such as Lynch syndrome or a polyposis syndrome or a personal history of inflammatory bowel disease, other types of modalities besides a colonoscopy for screening are not appropriate because these patients are what we call high risk and a colonoscopy is a one-stop shop, meaning that not only is it diagnostic where we can look for types of polyps, but it's also therapeutic for removal of things that could possibly turn into a cancer if left um, uh, unabetted uh, in the colon. But to go back to the average risk individuals and the other types of tests that are available, there are uh, other types of imaging studies and stool tests. In terms of at-home stool testing, there is a, a test called a fecal immunohistochemical test or a FIT test, as well as uh, the uh, stool DNA test, which uh, many people are familiar with what's called the Cologuard. And these are screening tests, meaning that if they are positive, it prompts the patient to get a colonoscopy. So we are seeing good results for patients who don't have access to a colonoscopy, either uh, because they might be in an isolated area or they just don't want to go through the prep and the misery of that. And for average risk individuals, that is a perfectly fine test. And we are seeing good results where there is a positive result on the FIT or the Cologuard test, and we see a colonoscopy, we are catching polyps to be removed at the time of the colonoscopic procedure. But once that's done, patients are kind of relegated to receive colonoscopies for further screening and surveillance down the line. Other types of colon cancer screening tests that could be performed that is not a colonoscopy include uh, something that I call a diet colonoscopy or a flexible sigmoidoscopy. And this doesn't require a prep as rigorous as a colonoscopic evaluation. Patients usually will do uh, one or two enemas the day of their exam, and the endoscopist will uh, get them in the endoscopy suite. They receive sedation similar to a colonoscopy, but the endoscope is limited to the latter half of the colon, meaning that the uh, last 30 to 50% of the colon. We don't go all the way to the end like we do with a full colonoscopy because obviously the patient hasn't prepped completely. And we can look for polyps in that situation. And this is usually done in combination with the stool testing. And if either of those tests are positive, meaning the stool test is positive or the flexible sigmoidoscopy finds polyps, we do recommend that patients get a full colonoscopy. Another type of test that could be done is what we call a CT colonography or a virtual colonoscopy as people might have heard about this. And this is a CAT scan, essentially, that looks for polyps in the colon. It's diagnostic, it is not therapeutic. So if this test is performed, patients, if it's positive, will need a colonoscopy. The CT colonography or the virtual colonoscopy is a little bit better for patients who don't tolerate sedation well because no sedation is necessary, but you still need to prep for a virtual colonoscopy. So if you're looking to get away from the prep, you're not gonna find it with that test. 
And then lastly, patients can get what's called a capsule colonoscopy. And this is a camera pill that a patient can ingest. And inside the pill is a camera that takes thousands of pictures as the camera goes through the intestines and large bowel, similar to like the magic school bus. It just takes a bunch of videos and the endoscopist will review that tape. And if there's any abnormal findings, again, it leads back to a colonoscopy. And with that virtual colonoscopy, this also requires a prep to evacuate the bowel so that they can see things. So, you know, when I talk to patients and we're talking about colon cancer screening, if you're looking to get away from a prep, you're probably your best bet is going to be the stool test if you're average risk individual, but all other types of endoscopic evaluations or virtual and uh, virtual evaluations do still require um, a colonic prep. And if any of those tests are positive, we do recommend a full colonoscopy for further evaluation. Well, all I can say is the prep is not so bad if you catch <laughs> it early enough because the results of not doing that well, yeah, our dire. Yes, yeah. and, exactly. You know, it's, I try to explain to patients that I encounter that, you know, it's a little bit of inconvenience. If you think about PrEP as inconvenience, you know, dealing with advanced or metastatic colon cancer is much more inconvenient and harmful than having a night of diarrhea. <laughs> and, you know, the, the benefit and gain that you can get from getting a colonoscopy or uh, an endoscopic evaluation to look for polyps, you know, is uh, life-saving. I mean, there's no way around it, Paula. Colon cancer screening saves lives. Before I have to let you go, Dr. Obuck, do you have any last comments, anything you would like to leave with our listeners? It, it doesn't matter what test you do. The best test is the one that gets done and done well and consistently. So if you're an average risk individual and you don't want to get a colonoscopy, don't forego screening. Colon cancer, like I said, is the third most common cancer in America is one of the most preventable types of cancers. You know, we screen for breast cancer, we screen for prostate cancer, but we can't prevent them. We can prevent colon cancer. It just requires the patient to get to the screening. Don't be bashful, don't, don't be shy, don't be upset about the uh, uh, stigmata, possibly about talking with your bowel habits with your physician. We're trained to do this. This is what we deal with on a daily basis and put your modesty aside and, and really it, it could save your life. Thanks once again to Dr. Joshua Obuck. And now we turn to Dr. Hamid Hanif, Associate Hematology Oncology, whose patients have a diagnosis of cancer. Yes, so thank you very much for having me here. It's a pleasure. And and yes, you're absolutely right. Uh, the problems of the colon and the rectum, they do get ignored for a while because of various reasons. Sometimes, yes, the patients are embarrassed. And sometimes they wrongly assume that it is because of uh, something else like constipation, uh, maybe there's a change in diet that caused it or, you know, diarrhea, maybe I ate something that's, that's, and that's been causing my diarrhea. And the, and the symptom that in my practice people ignore the most is rectal bleeding, which should alert someone that uh, something serious is going on, but most of the time gets blamed on is probably just hemorrhoids. And a few months later, when the bleeding gets worse and worse or doesn't get better, or uh, now pain starts to, to accompany the bleeding, then, then, you know, people seek medical attention usually and they, they found that, you know, it, was, it wasn't just a hemorrhoid, it was something else going on. What do you find, again, in, in your practice, because, again, you're dealing with people who have been diagnosed with having cancer, and sometimes it is found in the bowels or the, the rectum. Or do you find that once people are diagnosed and they find out that this is happening, that you hear, I should have, I would have, I could have? I mean, so hindsight is always twenty twenty, right? And unfortunately, I've been at the receiving end of that as well uh, with my family members. You always have the sense of guilt uh, for yourself or if you're caring for a family member that why didn't I seek medical attention sooner. And, um, you know, you're, you're absolutely right. It's almost always the case that why didn't I take my symptoms more seriously? What I tell my patients is that, you know, what, what's done is done and you cannot change the past. And the right attitude right now is that I have a problem right now. And the focus should be on how to deal with it, regardless of what was done in the past or what do you feel like should have been done in the past. That, that doesn't matter now. You have a problem right now and we should take care of it. What would be the first course of action? Would there be surgery before they get to you? And what about testing? We hear that there's a familial 
as far as colon cancer is concerned. That's why people should get tested and should have colonoscopies. So that's a very loaded question and a very good one as well. It depends on what stage are they seeing me at. I have seen patients who who have just been diagnosed with a mass in the intestines and no treatment has been done. And in that case, I usually refer them to a gastroenterologist to have a proper colonoscopy done and get a biopsy of that mass to, to find out more about what this mass really is. If this is cancer, then what type of cancer? And what are the certain characteristics of that cancer that we can see under the microscope? At the same time, most of the patients some kind of imaging would also be needed. And for most of the patient, that imaging would be a CAT scan of the chest, abdomen, and pelvis, preferably with IV contrast to see what is the exact stage of that cancer. Do we see any lymph nodes around the mass or is there anything in the liver or the lungs? Now, the blood tests are also important. And the blood test at the time of diagnosis of cancer does include a complete blood count and certain proteins in the blood that we call tumor markers to see where their level is. The screening thing and the familial variant of the cancer, that's uh, a little separate from the regular diagnosis from the cancer. The screening is done basically in the form of a colonoscopy that for an average person with an average risk of colon cancer should be started somewhere between 45 to 50 years of age. The societies disagree on the guidelines, but usually started around age 45 or 50. And then every 10 years, if there's no abnormality found on the on the colonoscopy. If you have a family member that was diagnosed with an early onset colorectal cancer, then the screening should start even at an earlier age. On uh, the familial variant, we know that about 20% of, of colorectal cancers are related to some family tendencies. These are genes that are running through the family. In most of the cases of familial cancers, these genes can be identified on genetic testing. Sometimes there's clearly a a tendency in the family to develop colorectal cancers, but the gene could not be identified. But that's about one in five of every colon cancer that is diagnosed. For those patients, whether they were diagnosed with a syndrome before getting diagnosed with cancer, in which case they can see me or one of the other specialists in, in that area to recommend certain interventions like regular endoscopies and colonoscopies so that if and when they develop colon cancer can be diagnosed at an early stage. Now at a later stage, by later I mean after the diagnosis of cancer, if we find out that this is indeed a familial variety of of colon cancer, the treatment could be slightly different than uh, quote unquote the somatic variant or the variant that just happened because of uh, what we call bad luck. Coming back to your question, you know, it really depends on what stage are they seeing me and then are they, were they diagnosed beforehand with a familial variant that runs in their family or do I diagnose them afterwards after they were already diagnosed with colon cancer? And that's why patients are so interested in getting as much information as they can because there are so many different variants. And absolutely, this yep. could be one thing, that could be another How do you deal with a patient who, any patient who comes in and says, Dr. Hanif, I don't even know where to begin. Are we talking about somebody who's just been diagnosed with with cancer? Yeah. And and I'm sure you hear that a lot. Yes. So, I mean, most of the new cancer patients that I see with colon cancer or rectal cancer, obviously they haven't met an oncologist before. And part of my, my discussion would be to give them an overview of what the treatment would look like. And I tell them right away that, you know, this is what our overall plan is going to be, but the treatment might get changed, depends on, um, you know, new findings. And as we get more information about this cancer and as you react to certain treatments for most patients with with colon cancer that is limited to the colon, meaning it's still inside the intestines, it could be in the lymph nodes around the intestines too. The first treatment that they will get will be um, a surgical resection. During that surgery, we would try to remove the whole cancer along with some normal part of the intestines on all sides. And after that, depending on how big the cancer was, how deeper was it going in the intestines and how many lymph nodes were involved, uh, we're going to form a plan regarding whether they need any radiation or chemotherapy after surgery. Now that doesn't apply to obviously all the patients. With some patients, the the cancer, it's still limited to the intestine, but it's big enough. And in 
uh, it's it's so big at that time that it cannot be taken out safely during surgery. So in that case, we sometimes do chemotherapy before surgery in order to try and shrink the cancer so it can be taken out as a whole with surgery. And then radiation can play a role either after surgery if we feel like a little bit of a cancer was left behind or if we feel like the cancer is outside of the uh, of the intestines at one or two spots, then we can use radiation to to kill off those spots of cancer. You've mentioned it a few times, and I've heard it before. There's always an indicator with lymph nodes. What exactly is that? Lymph nodes are these very small organs that that are part of our immune system. And what they do is they basically filter our blood. And if there's any uh, infection like bacteria or viruses, then these lymph nodes have these immune cells inside of them that multiply and attack the infection. Now, because they are everywhere and they are kind of protecting all the organs in the body, whenever there's a cancer inside any organ in the body, the first place that they usually go to when they go outside of that organ is usually the lymph nodes that are protecting that organ. That's why looking at the lymph nodes becomes so important just to make sure what stage is the cancer at. And actually, when the cancer goes to the lymph nodes, the staging changes considerably. But is it possible then, because again, you're talking about such a a large area when you're talking intestines and colon and the liver is right there and there are so many other things. Is it possible for something to break off? Because sometimes people get concerned about that, too, when they hear that it has spread, too. So is that a possibility with cancer as as well, especially when you're talking about these all these internal organs? Yes, that's uh, that will be the natural history of any cancer, that it will try to get bigger in size. And then at some stage, it's going to break off from the, the site at which it started off from and we'll start going to the lymph nodes and eventually to other organs. And the colon cancer, if left untreated, will try to go to other organs like liver or lungs most of the time. So so yes, it's a possibility and that's why early detection is important because the earlier you detect, the higher the, the chances of cure. And that's why when people talk about getting screened, sometimes they say, well, I don't want to do all that prep and I don't want to talk about all this because it makes me uncomfortable. So I think sometimes if people understand the importance of putting all that aside for the future end game, that maybe they might take it more in stride and just do it. Yes, definitely. Colonoscopy is an unpleasant procedure and there, there's no, uh, you know, sugar coating it. Um, but the thing is with the, when most of the people when asked after the procedure, they're usually happy with the fact that now they know that nothing is going on inside. Plus, you know, there are only a few cancers right now which have been proven to uh, to respond to screening, meaning um, even if we detect certain cancers early, it's not always possible to increase the rates of cure. But colon cancer is the one that we know that if we can detect early with a with a procedure such as colonoscopy, it, it definitely increases the chances of, uh, of the patients getting cured. Now, if somebody absolutely does not want to have colonoscopy, there are other procedures available as well. They're not as efficient as the colonoscopy, but getting your stool tested for any blood mixed with it is also one of the ways to do something if somebody absolutely does not want to have a colonoscopy or has some contraindication. But otherwise, uh, colonoscopy is the recommended screening test for, for colon cancer. That's another thing that people wonder about. If you're diagnosed with one cancer, does it necessarily lead to another cancer? Well, we know that, you know, there are certain syndromes which can cause colon cancer among other cancers. One of such syndromes is called a Lynch syndrome, which is responsible for around 2 to 5% of all new colon cancer diagnosis. And we know that Lynch syndrome also increases the chances of many other cancers in the body. So if somebody is diagnosed with colon cancer and then we do genetic testing on them and we find that they have the the gene for certain genetic syndromes, then we also recommend screening for other cancers lifelong after they get cured of the of the colon cancer. You know, the treatments for uh, for colon cancer or any other cancer when it includes when it includes uh, radiation and chemotherapy 
these are the treatments that in the long term can increase your chances of having a future cancer as well. So just with the treatment as well, yes, we, we definitely need to do the proper screening for all the cancers that, that we have, which currently include breast cancer for women, uh, prostate cancer for men, colon cancer, obviously we're talking about it. And for, for people who have smoked heavily in their, in their past, uh, lung cancer screening as well. So, so, so these are the screening that should be carried out regardless of whether somebody has a gene or not. By gene, I mean gene for certain genetic syndromes that predispose to, to cancer. If they are diagnosed with, with a genetic syndrome, then the screening becomes uh, much more intense and uh, much more frequent. What do you want to leave our listeners with? Sometimes the questions are just vague because we don't know everything about everything. But when it happens to us, we certainly have a lot of what if and what how and what next. So, Dr. Hanif, what would you what would you leave with our listeners today on our discussion? So I would like to just tell everyone that um, it's it's a treatable disease and the earlier you detect it, the higher the chances of cure and the easiest way to detect it would be by getting regular colonoscopies. And the age of starting colonoscopy and the frequency of colonoscopy is different for every person. So do discuss it with your doctor and your gastroenterologist to get to get your colonoscopy at the right time and at the right frequency. That was Dr. Hamid Hanif. I'm Paula Degnan for Special Edition. <sighs> Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. your vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. <laughs> 